Contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. It's a Brandt's Rants edition. I'm going to go on about this trade deadline, my experience with it. This interesting trade between the Patriots and the Browns, a counterintuitive trade. And talk about some concussion issues going on again, what's going on in the league with that, with domestic violence continuing, and of course, another issue with the Chargers and their important vote coming up next week. But first, a word from Elite Team. These NFL and college sports blankets, they're really perfect. They're really warm. They're made right here in the USA. They're actually two blankets sewn into one, keep you warm in any temperature, machine washable, You've never felt a blanket quite like this. So shop EliteTeam.com and you save 10%. Use promo code TUCKER, all caps, T-U-C-K-E-R, Elite Team, the official blanket of pure fandomonium. Again, promo code TUCKER, T-U-C-K-E-R, save 10% at EliteTeam.com. Let's get to the rants. Trade deadline. Before we talk about a specific trade, my experience with it, usually nothing happens. Why does nothing happen in the NFL at the trade deadline compared to other sports? Why is there no buzz Well, I think it's the same reason you see mixed results at best with NFL free agency. Football schematic, a 3-4, 4-3. You talk about all these defenses, offenses, fitting players in. Listen, how often do we hear coaches lament the fact that they don't get these players in the offseason? The ones that are there all year, they can't even teach them what they need to in that. And now you're going to put a player in midstream. This is why trading doesn't work like it does in other sports. You're taking players from other systems, putting in these schemes. It's not seamless, like, say, a pitcher in baseball, like, say, a shooting guard in basketball that can move seamlessly between one system and another, and that's why trading works. The other problem with the trade deadline is they have moved it back from after week six to now after week eight. They've done that. That's still not long enough. You still don't know exactly who's buyers, who's sellers, what the needs are. I proposed, when I was with the Packers, Ron Wolf, our GM, and I put together a couple proposals about the trade deadline. One, let's push it back even farther. Around Thanksgiving, even after Thanksgiving, just like baseball and somewhat like basketball, where you have a small part of the season left, where your contender can really pick up someone to put them over the top. That was summarily rejected by the NFL. They didn't want that. They didn't want this rent-a-player strategy where you just sort of keep a player for a little bit, try to get a title and move on. They didn't want that. In competitive balance, they didn't feel like that worked for them. So the NFL rejected that proposal. The other proposal I always suggested, and I still do, I don't see why they don't do it, cap room. You can trade cap room for players because you've got these teams out there, a Jacksonville, a Cleveland, with huge amounts of cap room. Why can't they trade it? And get players. In other words, they're not giving up draft picks. They're not giving up players. They've done management to carry over all this cap room. And now, again, you can carry it over. Jacksonville's carried over like $50 million, and they should be able to trade it. Of course, the NFL rejected that, too, saying teams make their bed with their cap management. They should be stuck with it. It seems to be too obvious that it would make sense, but it was rejected. So usually, usually nothing happens. Sometimes when you talk about trades, usually the question you want to ask is, what's wrong with this guy? You know, why are they doing this? Why are they getting rid of this guy? And it's a question everyone should ask at the trade deadline, because if they want to trade someone, you wonder what's the real reason behind it. So we have a trade now. In a counterintuitive, as I said, Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots, who would obviously seem to be buyers, contenders, Super Bowl favorites, 
trading to the worst team in the league, the Cleveland Browns, who are acquiring a player. The player is Jamie Collins, a good player for the Patriots, maybe better in the media and other people's evaluation than the Patriots' evaluation. That's the reason for the trade. Maybe they don't think he's as good as we or the media or other fans or people that judge these things think he's as good. The other reason, of course, is right up my alley. It's financial. It's the business of sports. You have the Patriots looking at Jamie Collins as an upcoming free agent. They're not going to pay him what he wants. They don't want to lose him without compensation. And yes, they would get a compensatory pick, depending on who else they signed or who what else happened with Jamie Collins, how he played. But that compensatory pick would be 2018. It's a delay. These things don't happen that year. They happen a year later. So now the Patriots would get a compensatory pick in this trade from the Browns in 2017 rather than lose them in 2018. From the Browns' perspective, you know, giving up a late third, there might even be a fourth. If the Browns somehow don't get a compensatory pick, those things don't come out till March when we know exactly what the comp picks are, but they figure to get one. They lost Alex Mack. They lost, they lost Gibson. They lost Mitch Schwartz. They figure to get a high compensatory pick, probably a third. If they don't, it's a high fourth. Seems like a light compensation for Jamie Collins. But again, it's eight games. If Jamie Collins was signed for a long-term deal, it wouldn't be a third-round pick. I would think they'd have to give up a second, maybe even a first, because you're trading a good player and then you've got contract value for years ahead. The other thing to note here is this is the first year in the history of the NFL. It's something I always railed against when I was with Packers as well, that you can now trade compensatory picks. You were never able to do that. Now you can. They actually passed the rule last year and now you can first time, and here we have it, where the where Browns are actually trading a pick they don't yet have. They're assuming they're going to get a comp pick, and we'll see if that happens. But again, Bill Belichick has been known to trade players before they hit the leverage point of free agency. It happened with Richard Seymour. It happened with Chandler Jones. It's now happening with Jamie Collins. So on field and off field, you figure the Patriots don't think he's as great as he cracked up to be on field and off field. They're not going to pay him what he wants. They might as well move on and get what they can. You know, I sort of look at the the uh, Panthers rescinding the trade off uh, the franchise tag from Josh Norman. They got nothing for him. So maybe this is something that they wish they had done this time last year, knowing they weren't going to be able to afford him. And that that's the way I look at that. Again, we may see more trades. I'm recording this on Monday, Tuesday, trade deadline, November 1st, 4 o'clock. We'll see what else happens. Usually the case is a lot of smoke, a little fire, reasons I've talked about, people tending to be getting rid of something they don't want, people tending to not uh, not really want to take on a player midstream with the schematic nature that football is. Trade deadline, let's see what happens. Another issue, we're back to domestic violence. Jerry Jones uh, overheard confronting Lisa Friel, the point person for the NFL with domestic violence at the owners meeting last week, about Ezekiel Elliott and what's happening there. Again, this is a long-running investigation. Again, Lisa Friel, I know to be a very powerful woman that's not going to be intimidated by Jerry Jones, even though he's probably the most persuasive person in that room. I've seen it up close and personal. I've seen it covering the LA relocation meetings last year. But it's the appearance, because you're coming off the appearance of Josh Brown, John Mara, the owner of the Giants, a close friend and confidant of the commissioner. Why did Josh Brown only get a one-game suspension? We're still wondering that. 
And now you have Jerry Jones in the face of, reported by ESPN, in the face of Lisa Friel talking about Ezekiel Elliott. And that's still unresolved, unfinished investigation into his domestic violence. Again, whether he intimidated Lisa Friel, I doubt that, but it's all appearances right now. And that's not a good look for the NFL. Josh Brown, back to him. We're still uh, talking about... Uh, this situation where they've cut him again after supporting him all year, they cut Josh Brown. They and now the Jerry Reese stands up in front of the media, doesn't want to talk about it. Ben McAdoo doesn't want to talk about it. John Mayer, I'm sure, doesn't want to talk about it. Now, this is unfortunate because again, we need open and honest communication about this. If it's because the NFL is still investigating, we expect further discipline, okay. But I just think we're at a point now where teams can't hide from this. This is such a big issue. It's got to be dealt with. We've seen what what seemed to be slipshot investigations on both Ray Rice two years ago and Josh Brown in 2016. You would hope that they would answer for it. At least two years ago, Steve Bashotti sat down in a press conference and answered all the questions about Ray Rice, how they supported him, then cut him. That should be a similar situation for the Giants. Final point about this, Ezekiel Elliott, who's obviously a star right now, and domestic violence. As a lawyer, I do have to point to precedents, not to defend the Cowboys or Ezekiel Elliott, but again, the precedent has been no discipline for pre-NFL behavior. And we saw that last year, Frank Clark was drafted by the Seahawks, their top pick, even though his second-round pick, their top pick, he had a history of domestic violence, a disturbing incident while he was in college. Again, no discipline attached there. That would be an argument for the NFL to not break precedent. They really don't discipline for pre-NFL behavior, except for another Ohio State player, uh, Terrell Pryor, and there was a suspension coming in, but it seemed like that was a quid pro quo for him getting in the supplemental draft, a much different situation. Next rant, concussions. Alex Smith goes down in Kansas City versus Indianapolis game yesterday. Goes down not once, not twice, and continued playing. It looked like he hit his head both times. Again, the question is not to question the the neurotraumatic staff of the <coughs> of the Chiefs and a Rick Borkholder. I know very well one of the most uh, talented, experienced, professional trainers you're ever going to find with the Chiefs. But here's the problem. We're back to perception. Why is he back in the game? Why is Alex Smith back in the game? Nick Foles replaced him. Uh, Why did the need for Alex Smith to come back in the game? And I guess the answer is he's their best player. They want him in. But don't we err on the side of caution? Aren't we beyond this playthrough culture? Don't we get to a point where he can miss the rest of the game? And now we hear about old voices such as Tom Coughlin and John Madden talking about uh, mandatory removal when there's suspicion of concussion, which makes some sense. Again, people are going to blow back about you want the best players in the game and declining ratings and all that. But if safety is really number one priority, we have to go with that. Alex Smith should not have gotten back into the game. And it's interesting we're talking about Alex Smith because Alex Smith was a player for the San Francisco 49ers, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, leading them to a great record one year. He had a concussion. What did he do? He sat out. He did exactly what we wanted him to do. He's replaced by a guy named Colin Kaepernick, this dynamic player. And Kaepernick takes over, and Alex Smith never gets his job back. Now, he's found himself in a great place in Kansas City, 
But it's just interesting. It's happening again with this guy who did sit out, lost a job, this time sits out, comes back in the same game with two potential concussive events. That's an interesting one. Last point looking forward next week is election that everyone's talking about, of course. That's the national election with Trump and Clinton. But here's one maybe more important to the business of the NFL. San Diego, which finished behind the Rams in the race for L.A. last year, has an important vote. This vote will determine their future in San Diego. It's a Measure C. It's on the ballot next Tuesday in San Diego. It requires for a public referendum on whether public funding will fill the gap that's needed to be filled to build this brand new spanking stadium in next to the con- attached to the convention center in San Diego, which worth a total of $1.8 billion retractable roof would be a beautiful uh, facility and get the charges out of their substandard facility they're playing in now. Here's the kicker. Number one, the good news for the voting is it's not San Diego residents. It's not city residents going to pay this tax. It's a tourist tax. The bad news is you need two-thirds. Two-thirds is a lot. For any public financing, two-thirds is a lot. Again, tourist tax, that's the sell. you got Mary Lopez selling it out there. But it's a two-thirds, 66.7% yes votes they need to pass Measure C. I think it's an uphill climb. My experience in trying to get uh, public funding for Lambeau field renovation back 15 years ago was that, you know, this is the most football mad, maybe supportive environment in in professional, maybe even all of football, and we had trouble getting it. We got to 53%. They need to get to 67%. Again, tourist tax, but we'll see how it goes. What if it doesn't pass? Well, they can see how much percentage it was. If it got close, if it got to, say, 62, 64, maybe they'll go back to San Diego city officials and work it out. If it didn't, now we see what's going to happen. Is the Spanos family going to go go hat in hand and be a uh, L.A. team, just like the Rams? That option is there for them until January, but I don't think anyone wants that. I don't think the Rams want that. I don't think the Chargers want that. They'd be kind of the ugly step- stepsister to the Rams. And I think the NFL wants to keep these teams where they are. And I know St. Louis fans will smirk at that. What do they do? They they talk to other markets like uh, Mark Davis is doing with Las Vegas. We'll see if that happens. But a pivotal moment for San Diego Chargers next week. November 8th, Election Day is big for the country. It's big for the NFL and it's huge for the San Diego Chargers. That's Branch Rants for this week, the first week of November. Happy Halloween. Happy November. Enjoy the Business of Sports podcast. You can hear us on RossTucker.com, iTunes, wherever you hear podcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. All the best, taking you inside behind the curtain on the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.